interests of honesty, when I first looked at this episode and realized which one it was, I actually kind of groaned. I was like, ah, do I have to watch this one? See, whenever I think of this episode, I tend to think of another episode, and that is unfair of me, but it's still something I do. I don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, it's another Masaka is waking episode. Some of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I imagine most of you do. And I can't stand that episode. So every time I see this, it's like, ah. Uh, rewatching it, I'm glad I rewatched it and tried to wipe the prejudice from my mind before I did because, oh my god, this is a powerful episode. But let's, get it, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There were two original plots that kind of converged into the episode we had here. And this is interesting because this is going to be more praise for Braga, in my opinion, but I'm getting off topic. The first was a plot about the vinculum, which was just, you know, the core of a Borg ship, the thing. You know, the, the way they describe it here, it was the, the introduction and, and usage of the vinculum, and that was like the plot. The other plot was Seven trying to pull one specific Borg consciousness out of things, and it was kind of vague and kind of crap, and everyone agreed it was kind of crap, and so they just kind of moved on from that. But from these two ideas, they had this further idea that came forward. Now, um, Brennan Braga didn't write this one, but he did an uncredited rewrite. Now, for those of you who don't really know what that means, it's kind of like the editor coming through and saying, well, no, this is crap, and trying to fix the episode. And Bra when I say rewrite, I don't just mean dialogue. Braga, for all intents and purposes, took the bare bones of the original concept and said, okay, and turned it into the episode we have. So i just like to say that because, once again, props to Brandon Braga. It's no surprise to me, though, that he would do that. A, he's the kind of guy who likes to push boundaries and try new things, and B, has always been really into doing what they can do here on Voyager that they can't do anywhere else. Good example, the Borg. Seven is a truly unique character in Star Trek, and he liked to do things with that. In fact, this will uh, come up again in the uh, second, I think, second or third episode of Season 5, or, excuse me, Season 6. We're already in Season 5. You know what, uh, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Now... I also want to give huge credit to David Livingston. I'll talk about more of the specifics of what he does later, but I've mentioned his name several times. He's a great director. He's directed some amazing episodes. This one's no exception. Now, I'm going to go ahead and complain about this episode here rather than later when it happens because I hate the, the B-plot of this episode. I know, I know, I know. I've said that so many times about how the B-plot just ruins an episode and takes away from the A-plot. Uh, it, I mean, this goes all the way back to the swarm back in season three. In fact, actually, this goes back before that. But I just get tired of the B-plot being married to the concept and accomplishing nothing. Tell me something. What does the B-plot of this episode add to this episode? Tell me. Legitimately. Because I can't think of anything other than padding. The inclusion of these aliens who created the virus does nothing. The inclusion of these aliens who are antagonistic for no good reason does nothing. The inclusion of these aliens who are trying to destroy Voyager to, to add drama to an already incredibly dramatic scene does nothing. See, for me, all the drama of that scene was the horror of the, of the meld scenes, which we'll talk about when we get there, and the significance of trying to basically dampen a Borg device. It's funny because they're trying to outwit Borg technology, but they're doing it in a smart way. They're not trying to defeat it. They're trying to stall it for long enough in order to get it the hell out of there and, and save Seven. And I like that. That makes sense. And that was dramatic and tense and powerful, and then just all of a sudden the ship shakes because there's this other ship shooting on them for, for effectively no reason. Hated that. Ugh. All right, that's out of my system. 
Nothing but praise from now on, because this is a damn good episode. First of all, I want to talk about, talk about Naomi Wildman. I don't, didn't write down the actress's name, but she's actually, you know, child actress. Probably one of the better child actress, actors I've seen in Star Trek. She actually is, hits a very precise and believable point in between childlike and childish, you know? Uh, and she makes a balance between these two because childish is usually the things we associate as negatively towards youth and childlike is the things we associate positive. So she is, you know, she she is precocious basically, but she, at the same time, there's no brattiness about her. She seems very sincere and very warm. In fact, if I could be so bold, and I imagine some diehard Star Trek fans are about to shoot me in the face for saying this, but I think Naomi Waldman is one of the better examples of the Roddenberry ideal in children. She is earnest, sincere, uh, driven, wants to better herself, wants to do more. She does not contain most of the more negative qualities of her age group. And this is speaking from experience of, of raising more than a few uh, children myself, too, actually. The third is not at that age range yet. But, you know, so, yeah, I, I'm totally with it, and I think she did a really good job, and I think her uh, addition really adds something to this episode. We'll come back to that uh, later. I also want to say that Jerry Ryan uh, really gets to stretch in this episode. She'll actually do this again later when she plays the doctor. But this really shows off the kind of actress Jerry Ryan can be. She is a very uh, physical actress. Now, she does some things with her tone, absolutely. And she changes the way she speaks, not just the words she's speaking. But most of her presentation of these different personalities was all in her body movement, her language, her pose, her posture. Sometimes she'd do little things with her hands, all sorts of little touches in order to emphasize the kind of personality she is. And it comes across brilliantly. It really is a great job on that. And so huge, huge props to Jerry Ryan for this. I... Uh, it's actually kind of a norm in Star Trek that some of the really good actors get a chance, like one episode, one big episode, where it's like, here, act. You know, Patrick Stewart has had a few like this, The Inner Light, arguably, the, be, arguably being the big one. Uh, Brent Spiner had one where he played in, in Brothers, the episode Brothers. Um, over in Deep Space Nine, there were several. I don't want to cover all the episodes. Let's just, let's just say it's a thing that's happened across all the series, going all the way back to the original series. And I always felt this was Jerry Ryan's episode. This is the, here, show us your chops. And she, she did a great job. She performed flawlessly. I do have a question. Why does it take everyone so damn long to figure out that she's got the multiple personalities thing? Seven is extremely obvious and even overt in her personality. Any shift in that would be incredibly, and indeed was, incredibly obvious. And yet she's just like, ha, ah, you know. In defense of this episode, however, and I checked, it only took about 12 minutes for them to figure it out. Now, that's also Tuvok who figures it out. But in defense of the episode, the moment Tuvok is actually physically there with Seven, sees how she's acting and reacting, he figures it out just like that. So props to the episode for not doing what I was irritated that it was going to do. Because I could just picture it. How many times, in Star Trek especially, but across fiction in general, has, has some person been possessed or, you know, been timey-wimey'd or been altered and or been replaced by a duplicate? And it takes everyone else forever to figure it out, despite the fact that the signs are there. I mean, in some cases, in like more bad episodes, the signs are obvious. In better episodes, sometimes those signs are very, very subtle. But even then, it just takes fucking forever for people to figure it out. It always bugs the crap out of me. I like uh, that Doc shows, the Doctor shows a lot of personal caring for Seven. It's something that the two of them have been growing closer for a long time. 
I've said it before, I've said it again. I've always felt the Doctor and Seven would be a better pairing than the Doctor and anyone else, and Seven and anyone else. This is actually going to be addressed in a future episode. Because, well, I, I've listed my reasons why. I'll leave that for that episode. But I like the fact that that caring is not just romantic or sexual, that the two actually do have obvious fondness and, and uh, closeness together, that he has become someone she considers the closest thing she has to a friend, and he obviously cares for her in his own personal manner and in, in the ways that he does. I like that. I like the, the, the fact that the Doctor is clearly showing that he really wants to help her uh, in this episode. That's, that's a huge plus. Um, I have to make a, a comment here. This is just an anecdote. This is going to be a really short episode, by the way. God, super short. I have so few notes on this episode. Really, it's not even a full page. There's a there's an anecdote in here where they mention different personalities that they've been discussing uh, with Seven. One of them is a Krenim scientist where she's been discussing the better aspects of temporal mechanics. Ha, ha, ha. I, just, <laughs> I admit, though, when I saw that, that made me grin. Now, I want to also mention that the, the this is a good use of the mind meld. Uh, the mind meld is one of those things that sometimes is treated with great reverence and respect, and sometimes is treated as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, in, in defense of Voyager, for the most part, I feel that Voyager's mind melds, I can only think of two prior to this one, I'm sure there's more, uh, have been pretty good. The one with Suter, which I thought was brilliant, and, and really, really worked out perfectly, and the one where he used it to basically force violent thoughts down the throat of the gentleman uh, on the, the thought planet whose name I forget. But I, I felt like both of those were really good aspects and executions of the mind meld as a plot device. And here I think it's good as well, because the whole point of the mind meld is not to fix her. It is to help grant her some of Tuvok's mental discipline. And the thing that the episode goes out of its way showing, and I love this, is that even with Tuvok, who, is, who has a fairly large amount of mental self-discipline, is reeling careening under the torrent, the, the, the maelstrom of the many different minds cascading against each other in Seven. And so I, I feel like if Suvak had not done the mind melt to help stabilize her, I'm pretty sure she would have completely cracked under the strain and her personality, as they mentioned, or her sanity, or both, would have been lost. Now, that brings me to the meld scene. I just want to say that that was genuinely disturbing, in a good way, as weird as that sounds. It's not that kind of thing where it's like, get off my screen, disturbing. It's the kind of thing where like, oh my god, makes you think disturbing. And the really impressive part is they did it with, no, with virtually no post-processing. But no, no effect. The effects team didn't come in and, and fi fix all that later. They just used, they actually described how they use it. They, they used this uh, weird camera method where they had like various uh, multiple lenses on the camera and they had this bubble thing. I, I'm not going to bore you with the whole thing. You can see the interviews with uh, Livingston if you want to. But he does some brilliant stuff and basically all of that is just camera work and standard sets and, and smoke. And it's horrifying. And the vocalization, the way they do the audio is perfectly just, I don't have a better word. It was disturbing. Hearing all of those voices, all of them in terror and horror. And it did something that Star Trek hasn't done a lot of, like ever. It was a very close, personal, down-to-earth perspective on just how bad assimilation really is. It becomes easy to forget that. It becomes easy to just think of drones as other drones. It becomes easy to think of Borg as just other Borg. It becomes easy to just think of Borg as the enemy without really understanding the personal level of horror that the Borg actually embody. 
Now, I may be a fan of the Borg per se, as, as, as I've been both accused of and stated myself many times. But part of the thing that has part of that is the Borg are a truly nightmarish enemy. You are aware while you were a drone. To some extent or another, it, it kind of depends on how long you've been a drone and who you were before you were assimilated. We'll talk about that later, too. In a different episode, I mean. But you are aware. And you're screaming in your own mind in horror and nightmare as you are completely incapable, completely powerless to do anything. What will I, I had to actually stop the video for just a little bit. Because there was a section where there was this little girl screaming about how it was a horrible place. And I don't want to be here and I want to go home. Please let me go home. Whichever kid they did to do that voice was a little bit too realistic for me. And really just cut right through me. And I had to pause and just collect myself for a bit because, oh my god. Because the Borg assimilate children too. Why wouldn't they? Well, now that we've got that pleasant thought out of the way, um, I mentioned the aliens. Let's talk about the aliens for just a second. I, I just want to stress this because this is so endemic of what Voyager's approach is to writing in general. And I feel like this was tacked on literally for padding. Like they were just running short on airtime, and it's like, okay, fine, here. And then there's an alien threat. Because that's what they are. And then there was an alien threat who somehow overpower Voyager, who somehow are refusing to even consider the comp con concept of a compromise and are going to just try and destroy you. And, and, then when, and then the threat just evaporates the moment it's no longer needed. The moment the padding can go away, the threat goes away. Now, yes, you can make arguments for everything they did. It is understandable that a species that has been 99% extinguished by the Borg would not be inclined towards diplomacy. Not arguing that. It's understandable that they would think it's disrespectful that the Voyager crew have done so much to hamper their plan to stop the Borg, which, in, among other things, cost them the lives of their crew who sacrificed themselves willingly to infect them. So that's understandable. And it's understandable that they're in a hurry. They want to make sure that gets their back there as soon as possible. And yet the biggest problem with all of that is none of that involves thinking. And again, the aliens are just there for padding. So any excuses made for it are exactly that. Excuses. For me, in this case, even though everything they do is excusable, it was detracting from the episode. I actually felt pulled out of the drama. I mean, we have these horrible, nightmarish, disturbing, I keep using that word, disturbing meld scenes, and then we see Taurus trying to outthink the technology, and then we have the ship being attacked by the aliens. Like, I think my tone shift there just kind of got gets where I was like, oh my god, what's going to happen in the meld, and is, is Tuvok going to be damaged by this, and oh my god, the Borg thing, and oh, they're under attack. Oh, back to the melt! You know, that's how I felt the whole time. It's like, God, just get back to the good stuff. Come on! Now, I know I haven't done a how I would have changed it thing in a while. Part, part of that's because there's been some good episodes. Part of it's because there's not really a lot of demand for that amongst my viewers. So forgive me for eating up even more of your time. Putting. But I would change a couple of things about this episode. Just two. One is the obvious. Blink! Alien plot is gone! Just have it be a malfunctioning beacon. It was a surviving piece of a Borg cube that self-destructed. Remember, one of the Borg's biggest advantages 
One of the reasons they are so technologically advanced is their energy production. The amount of power a Borg cube or a sphere or whatever can produce is insane. So when a Borg ship goes down, it's a pretty big boom. So it's pretty understandable that even if a piece of that ship survived the destruction, it would be damaged. Boom. There you go. Understandable, relatable, works perfectly. Done. No further explanation needed. No virus, no aliens. Gone. There's a second change I would make. Obviously, this episode should have had a long-term effect on Seven. And it doesn't because this is Voyager and Rick Berman's the devil. I'm sorry. No offense to the devil. Um, but it should have had some long-term effect on Seven, but I really wish it had had more of a long-term effect on Tuvok. If I had been doing this, I would have had there been a severe consequence. Remember how much drama and noise was made about the meld? Remember how many times the doctor said the meld is unsafe? Remember how many times Tuvok himself mentioned the meld would be unsafe? And then we see Tuvok literally writhing in pain, struggling to maintain the link, as he, his disciplined, powerful mind is being assaulted by something that he can barely withstand. Make there be consequence. Make Tuvok not the same, at least for a little bit. Give him a re literal, real recovery period out of this. Have some of the personalities have affected him in a way and have him trying to overcome this as like a side plot, a C-plot over the next several episodes. Show the fact that Tuvok was literally mentally damaged by this. Because this accomplishes two things, or three if you want to get down to it. Number one is the obvious one. Continuity. Bam! Continuity, as I've always said, is all about consequence. In other words, what you did mattered. It wasn't just a one-off. It had long-term significance. I mean, that's why I like continuity. In a nutshell, what I just said, that sentence right there. I, I think I need to, like, edit that and, and chop it and just put it into a sound bite so I can repeat that anytime anyone asks me, why do you like continuity? Blam! Point two. It has an excellent way for Seven to get closer to Tuvok. Because Seven doesn't really understand the finer gray amorphic details of society and culture. What she does understand is the literal and the physical. She understands survival. This was the whole plot arc of basically all of season four. Remember the undercurrent was the survival versus living thing and how Seven was trying to fit that into her particular worldview? So someone who literally damages themselves in a literal, real way to help her, she's going to appreciate that probably more than anyone else in the crew would. Because that's something she understands. That's something she gets. And she would be grateful for that. She would, I would love a scene where she is trying to show gratitude to Tuvok and doesn't know how to. She is unaccustomed to feeling this way. I would love to see her be un upset at how grateful she feels because she doesn't know what to do about it. I would love that to be this undercurrent as Tuvok is recovering, as Tuvok is struggling. You remember how he was blind in... Uh, in Year of Hell, you notice, if you'll remember, the reason he got blinded in that was because he saved Seven. Now, granted, as I mentioned back then, that was supposed to be Cass and it fits one-to-one. -one. But still, Seven in that episode showed great care towards taking care of and helping Tuvok in his daily routine as gratitude for being... It's the same thing I'm just talking about right here. Have that be an undercurrent as Tuvok's recovering, and have this Tuvok recovery thing come back in a future episode. Now, if I had my pick, if I could just magically rearrange the episodes, I'd pick the episode where um, Tuvok and Tom end up in the time-dilated uh, pocket dimension. Have that be the episode where Tuvok finally comes to grips with things. I wouldn't have him healed. I would not have him the same. 
I would have had Tuvok come to the realization and the strong, and he would go to Seven and say, and I just, I can picture this scene. He's going to Seven and he says, you have come to understand that you will never be Borg or human ever again. You have lost those pieces of yourself, but you still go forward. You have still chosen to go forward. You have decided to use your will and your strength to keep going, despite your wounds. I have now decided to do the same and have Tuvok be just a little different because Tim Russ can add subtlety to his performance. He's a great actor and he's got the, the, the flavor in his performance to that. So have Tuvok be just a little different from that point on term. Truly long-term character consequence as a result of that. What do you think, guys? This is when I get a thousand angry emails saying, No, you're wrong and we hate you. <sighs> One last thing. I said we'd come back to it. Naomi and Seven again. Uh, towards the end, Seven has decided to care and imprint upon Naomi. Now, on the one hand, that seems kind of out of nowhere. But on the other hand, I don't think it is. One of the lines Seven has is how she had such a hard time adjusting to not having the chorus in her mind. But once she did, she became accustomed to it. She grew to like it. Having the chorus back was damaging to her. And yet one of the undercurrents of that and many previous episodes is that she has a new family unit, which she prefers to the collective, her crew. And yet despite her fondness for the crew and the crew's obvious fondness for her, this is not the first time the crew's gone out of the way to endanger themselves for her sake, I feel like pointing out. In spite of that, she has trouble personally connecting with people. I mean, those social exercises are still ongoing, as the doctor points out, right? So her trying to connect with another person makes perfect sense when that person is actively willing to connect with her and already has a, an unusual similarity with her, this being Naomi. If you don't understand what I mean, Naomi and Seven are both unique in two ways. Um, or I said, I, I'm sorry, not unique. They're unique from the rest of the crew, but they are similar to each other in two ways. And I, I'm not talking about their gender. Number one, both of them are from the Delta Quadrant. Both of them are truly outsiders in this crew. Both of them did not come here or have not been part of the crew forever. Both of them are effectively outlooking in to the rest of the crew. No matter how much they're embraced, they are separate. And point two, both of them have a different mindset. I guess this is related to the first point. Both of them look at things differently. And in fact, this is actually going to pay off in the future. But both of them, uh, as a result of this and a couple other things, uh, have a mutual respect for each other. And again, this is going to pay off in a really big way in a future episode. So I like that they sowed the seeds of that here. And again, I feel like it's a natural progression of both of their characters. Naomi, again, being the kind of person who would imprint upon a Borg woman who, if you'll notice, Seven is perfectly polite with Naomi, really. The only people Seven tends to not be polite with is people who are not polite with her. And most of that is admittedly in the past at this point, you know. So that's all I got to say. Sorry for the short episode. You know how it is. Uh, television episodes. Wait until I get to Babylon 5. Each episode will be like three hours. Uh, anyways. Signing off, guys.